This is a big weekend, and I'm really hoping that this fellow shows up because, um, you know, he'd like to tell you that uh, uh, he's the Donkey Kong champion. And um, the fact of the matter is um, all of us have not seen him play Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is really strange in that it actually lets you play the, um, the kill screen level for maybe five seconds or so. Everything looks normal, and then suddenly Mario just up and dies on you. There's a potential Donkey Kong kill screen if you want to watch. If anybody wants to see, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. Uh, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up if anybody wants to watch. There's a Donkey Kong kill screen might be coming up if anybody wants to see it. There's a potential Donkey Kong kill screen if you want to watch. Hey Todd, if you're interested, uh, there might be a Donkey Kong kill screen in a couple minutes. Um, Walter Day stated that this was the highest score ever done and this is the first uh, kill screen achieved on Funspot's machine. Uh, Steve Wiebe has become the third person to reach uh, Donkey Kong's kill screen. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and coming up on today's episode it's going to be very games focused, it's going to be very arcade based because on today's episode I'm joined by the true, the real King of Kong, Steve Wiebe. Now if you'd listened to any of my previous episodes you'd have heard my interview with Walter Day from Twin Galaxies and I'm very thrilled that I can follow it up with part 2 of my King of Kong specials with the one and only Steve. If anyone knows me or anyone has listened to Skip to the End you'd have heard me talk many times about the King of Kong documentary. I'm not just saying this because he's on today's episode but it's by far one of my most watched and most loved documentaries out there so I'm absolutely thrilled that Steve's joining me today. Before I get into today's episode and you get to hear this interview, I do want to touch base a little bit on the last episode. So if you're tuned in, you'd have heard my interview with the director, Bill Holderman, and also the producer, Erin Sims. They're both responsible for the most recent film, Book Club, which stars Diana Keaton, Jane Fonda, and one of my favourite actors, Richard Dreyfuss. I just want to say right now, thank you to everyone that tuned in, everyone that had a listen, and everyone that took the time to comment, because some of the feedback was great, I heard a lot of people saying how inspired they were and how much they enjoyed the interview, so thanks again for everyone that tuned in. What I do want to do now is talk a bit more about today's episode. So as I said at the start, I'm going to be joined by Steve Wiebe. If you haven't seen the documentary King of Kong, just stop this interview right now. Push pause and go and watch it. I think it's actually on YouTube when I looked the other day. It's absolutely awesome and you will not regret it. It's the story of... Billy Mitchell versus Steve Wiebe to try and get the best score on King Kong. And you might think, well, that doesn't sound that great. It is a face versus a heel. There's so many great characters. There's so many different individuals that get involved in this documentary. And it is honestly one of my favourites. So check it out and then come back and listen to this interview. But for those people, because I've seen people getting excited already about this interview and they've already seen it. Here it is. Here's my interview with the one and only Steve Wiebe. So, Steve, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Mark. No problem. So, what I wanted to do is go back to the very early days of your uh, childhood. And were you kind of the kid that had an arcade machine then? Or were you kind of getting into gaming very early? Or was it later on in life? I was into the arcade scene right in the heyday of the um, video games. I didn't have an arcade machine at my house back then. It was... No, I don't have, remember anybody owning one, you know, in the early 80s when I was going, we just went to the arcades and played, and we had the Atari 2600 was the popular home game console, which we all would play at our houses when we weren't at the arcades, um, and I just happened to just take a liking to Donkey Kong, and that was the one of the big buzz games, you know, after Pac-Man had come out, uh, then Donkey Kong was kind of the next hit video game and I just started playing that and basically that's all I played I didn't I wasn't attracted to the other games of that of that time at the, um 
there was Donkey Kong Jr. that came out after Donkey Kong, which I played too. But that was basically a one trick, uh, one trick pony. Um, but I never had the arcade machine until I uh, bought one in in college, and I had a machine in my in my fraternity. So was it a case of, like you said, you only had one game that you were obsessed with? Did you try any other games, or was it when you bought Donkey Kong that was it? You just thought, I don't need any other games. I, I played a little bit of, you know, Asteroids and Space Invaders before Pac-Man came out. When Pac-Man came out, then I was, that was essentially what I played for the most part. Um, but I didn't play Defender, Tempest, any of those other games. Had too many controls in my, and, you know... Defender looked a lot more complicated than than the other games that I took up. So I uh, just stuck. Once I got playing Donkey Kong, it was basically that was for the most part what I played. It just it was simple, and I just loved the game. So when was it that it became a bit more than just a bit of fun? Like you know, we've all had games consoles and sat up late at night playing them, but you took it to a whole new level of hours and hours of trying to get this certain record. When did it become such a kind of a bit of a an addiction, I suppose. I was obsessed with it when I bought the machine and had it in my fraternity. This was in about 1990. So I was a junior in college. And I had about six or seven fraternity brothers that would come in and they were hooked on the game too. So I'd come home from class and they would be in there playing. And sometimes I wouldn't even get a chance to play it. But when I uh, had it in my fraternity, I was getting... Originally, I was starting out at like three hundred thousand. I was, you know, getting around those scores. And I was, as I was playing more and more, I was getting into the five hundred thousand, six hundred thousands, and seven hundred thousands. And and then when I took it home during the summer, like about a year after I bought it, um, that's when I got to the kill screen, which I thought I didn't know what was happening. That I was started out on a barrel board, and now that we know it's level. 22 and I just died for un- for unknown reasons and I that was on my last guy so I had no no other man to to see if it would happen again so I and I remember the score being about 930,000 at that time and then so I played it one more time because I was trying to get to a million I was getting close and I so I said okay let's, maybe that was just a, a, a flaw in the game at that one time it just just killed me off for no reason but then I got there a second time and my score was in the 960,000s and it killed me off I had two men at this time killed me at the same level same place roughly because it's you know whatever number of seconds into the screen it happens and then I thought it was like some invisible barrels with the first thing that came to mind there's another difficulty now that you have to know where these these invisible objects are that you have to jump or avoid them so i just that's what i thought so then the second man i played it died again i tried i don't know if i tried jumping in the spot that it died or whatever but then i thought well there's no point it looks like my games either got a bug in it or i never heard of the kill screen and there was no internet at that point that was you know as it is today i didn't have any idea what the high scores were i felt that those scores must be in the in the realm of being the high score on Donkey Kong, but I'd have no way of verifying it. So I sold the machine, thinking there was no other reason to continue if it's just going to kill me there. And then when I was working at a software company in 1999, this was like eight years later, Yeah, I was just always still wondering what was the high score on Donkey Kong, and I just typed in, Donkey Kong high score. Then I f- finally saw some website that, when it, it was search engine came, you know, through and said, Twin Galaxies had a website at that point, and and Billy Mitchell had the score at that point. And I know there's Tim Zerby was saying he had the score, which he did. But the time that I looked it up, at that moment, Billy score Billy's score was the high score. So in the movie, when I say I looked up the score in Donkey Kong, there was Billy Mitchell's score. That was pre-Tim Zerby's score, because I know he he had submitted a tape in 2000. So before he had even broken the record, I was playing at a level that I th- thought was a high score, but I could never confirm it. And I looked it up in one day that it, 
it happened to bring up the website and Billy Mitchell's name was there. So at that point I was thinking I need to maybe get a new machine, you know, try to, to break that score. Cause I knew I had, I had the capability to break it. Yeah. And I just, I knew that it wouldn't take much time to, to break it. That's, um, I was well above that when I was getting the scores in the nine in 91. Um, so I just went out and, and bought another machine in about in the year, this was about 2000 now that I was um, setting, the, trying to set the record. So I suppose all through the 80s and the early 90s, you weren't actually playing for a world record because you were not even aware that the Twin Galaxies site, well, it didn't even exist back then. You must have just been playing for fun. Yeah, I just started off uh, just playing for fun, just recognizing that, hey, my scores are getting higher and higher. And I was like, wow, this this is, it was, every time I would, get a personal best it was rewarding but i wasn't thinking i was gonna have a high score or a world record i didn't even know there was any such out uh, agency that was tracking them and um so i just kept playing for fun it was just every time i played it it was just fun to play I just i felt like i was really good at the game and it, it was kind of just gave me a fun diversion from you know going from college you know working or going to college classes, getting home, coming to the fraternity. It was just kind of a, a break away from the from the, the taking classes and doing homework. So you just mentioned then, obviously, when you did go on and you found that there was a world record, uh, and it was at the time Billy Mitchell. Uh, that's obviously where most people will know of yourself and Billy from the King of Kong documentary, which is, and I know you're in it, so you're going to be biased, but it is one of the greatest yeah. documentaries and films around, like... You must have never you must have never expected it to be such a, a cult followed film, and it actually is voted in some of the top sort of hundred films of all time now. Yeah, I never suspected when I started going for the world record it would turn into a, a documentary. That was the furthest thing from my mind, and I never thought it would become a controversy. I was recording scores on a to VHS. And back then, there wasn't anyone else submitting Donkey Kong scores. Tim Zerby had submitted one in 2000, um, and then I I uh, got the record, took it over. Um, it had like 800, and the first score I submitted was, I think, 885,000. Yeah. Um, and it turned out, and it this wasn't explained as well in the film because it's kind of a really difficult difficult way uh thing for people to understand but there's a double donkey kong board that when i first purchased this donkey kong jr machine i was wanting to get the record on that and donkey kong so i i didn't have room for two cabinets and i guess i could have bought another board that was that i could have interchanged the but it's, instead of having to swap boards out i i looked I happened to find there's a guy in, um, named Mike, and he has his, uh, a company. It's called Mike's Arcade, and he, he de- developed a, what's called a double Donkey Kong, where it will play Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. with a single board. And so I call, emailed him, and I explained I was, I'm going for the world record. Is there anything that you did? that affects the gameplay and he said absolutely not the only thing that is any code that was written or whatever was done is outside of the gameplay so the only thing that he added so there's a if you press the two two player button and the one player button at the same time it will flip to the other game so that's the only thing that his his board did differently so I go okay and there was no um, the the game submission requirements weren't as exhausting as today since back then the only thing they required was you play them you turn the machine on and you have to show an initial rug pattern so well, they, they want to see that it's a video game and not like a, some other so I don't know whatever platform so they want to see this rug pattern that comes on that's that shows that it's an arcade machine and then you play your game and you put your initials in and that was it. So even Twin Galaxies wasn't expecting a double Donkey Kong game, all these other 
ways of potentially cheating now. They, they were pretty simplistic in what they expected because there wasn't a lot of people submitting tapes. Like I said, Tim submitted one. Then at this point, I was basically the only person submitting Donkey Kong high scores. And once they revealed that I wasn't trying to pull a fast one on anybody, I submitted a Donkey Kong record on a double Donkey Kong board, and it initially got verified. And the, But the sound of the Donkey Kong machine, when it plays double Donkey Kong, has a Donkey Kong Jr. high pitch. So when Mario's walking, it sounds like uh, Junior when he climbs the vines or uh, and things like that. So it's an obvious tell. There was never trying to slip a pa fast one by anybody. I was playing by the rules. What I thought I was asking Mike's arcade. Did it? Was it changed the gameplay? He said no. But then there was somebody that recognized it as a double Donkey Kong, and then that's where they thought I was a cheater. So that's where the suspect suspicion came in and every tape I submitted from then on was scrutinized, which it should be. Yeah. Um, but that was basically the, the crux of why the documentary got made is just the, um, me trying to get a submission in, um, uh, through a, a, a agency that kind of has the old, kind of an old school, people that have been in the in the video games since they were teenagers i wasn't part of the that crew and they didn't they didn't believe that there was this some guy that could just get a record score from nowhere they thought anybody that was getting high scores was somebody within that has been there for from from day one i guess but um so that's that was the reason why with the, without the controversy yeah the, the story would not have not have been a very exciting story, but so that once that happened, all that controversy happened, um, I thought I was, I had no outs because they thought I was cheating. There was, they, they never gave me credit for, there, there was a couple, few tapes I had submitted one after the other until I broke a million and but they never verified any of them. They were just kind of sitting on the tapes and never explained why they weren't the double donkey kong one they they explained that they weren't going to to count it they were going to put it in another category called the double donkey kong record but that would be silly so they they never they took took that one off the boards but then the other ones i submitted never never even got a final answer they just were sitting there and sitting there and, and i thought i was dead in the water which i basically was the only way i would have had to get a score is go somewhere live but you know where am i gonna go so it turned out once the, my friend who uh, i played baseball with and he's a screenwriter in hollywood and when i told him these these things and when i the last the last thing that had happened when they came to my house and and were looking at my machine i when i told him that one then he said this has got to be this is silly. We got to find a way to, to get this in a story or, or something. Cause this is like totally what, what Hollywood screen <laughs> scripts are, yeah. are made for. So that's when the film crew came in and, and I felt like, okay, maybe this thing gets made or maybe it doesn't. Cause you never know if, with anything that's being shot. Some, sometimes it never even, uh, pans out, doesn't see the light of day, but they finished it, and I never even thought it was all about me because there was several people being followed in the in the mix of the, these video games. There were several stories, and there were some of those stories were are woven into the King of Kong. But the main story that they thought was telling was the the Billy versus Steve story. So it's just weird how it all. Just a fluke. It would never happen again. It's like one in a billion that this would ever even come to fruition. But it's just crazy. So when I interviewed Walter um, a few weeks ago, he was kind of saying he didn't like the documentary because it portrayed Billy in like this kind of heel villain, um, and yourself as kind of the face and the hero. And 
even though at times on the documentary it looks like you and Billy have got this rivalry and hatred against each other, especially when you're playing games and he doesn't speak to you. It, it kind of spoiled it because he was telling me that that wasn't the case at all. You know, like they filmed it and you were talking as friends normally and then he said, let's go off with his missus. But they edited it so it looked like he didn't even want to speak to you. And that kind of, it didn't ruin it for me, but it felt like when someone said there's no such thing as Santa Claus, I was like, oh, really? I would say that it's in the middle somewhere. Um, yeah, it doesn't paint Twin Galaxies in a like Bobby Walter is not going to like it. Billy's not going to like it. And even to extent, there's elements that I don't like because there's some truths that were not explained because of you know it's so complicated. You know this thing about the double Donkey Kong score didn't yeah. get explained and all that, and they kind of make me look like I'm a loser. They so they do highlight to make it you know if you didn't if you just made it like a blah blah fact telling story no one would have even cared to watch it and it wouldn't have gone anywhere but they had to make it highlight accentuate on billy they just chose to you know to make him a little darker made me a little uh pure you know and and just the way that they had to, to do it to make it um, something that would be more um, something people would want to watch versus just some kind of um, people talking heads on a history channel, which people would fall asleep. So there was that done to it. Um, but as far as I know, there's a lot of things like that Billy refutes, but when he came into the um, arcade at the very end there, when I was at the Guinness World Records, he did not say a word to me. He walked right by. And I wouldn't expect him to come up to me in the middle of the game and start chatting because then he would be accused of trying to, you know, make to distract me or something. But I know there was something where he said he he came by. I don't remember what where I read it, but he said, "Yeah, I talked to him." And I said, "Hey, hey just keep you know something about like you know sometimes the games don't go your way or trying to encourage me or or something." But yeah, that, I mean, there's things that are being told that, you know, that aren't true, that people are trying to say stuff, that the movie edited this, and this is what happened, and maybe some of it was edited, but um, but but things like saying that he talked to me in that one scene, that's just, this is just one example. Yeah. That that did not happen. He didn't come up and say anything to me. He just walked around, circled the room and left. So there might've been other scenes where he, they edited stuff and, and it made it look a certain way. But, um, and he might be, whatever he says about that is, could be correct. He'd have to tell me which, or Walter would have to tell me which scenes, um, those would be, but I know there was some editing, obviously, cause they had so much footage of, to keep the storyline flowing and to create create some good guy versus bad guy, which is obvious, you know, we have to have a yeah. That's just the formula for a for a movie. This is a a movie documentary, which which um it, it's got to have an entertaining entertainment value. So when you first watched it back, and obviously we just talked about how people are portrayed, you must have been pretty happy with the way that you came across because you're the hero, and from the the start, you're cheering for you, you're wanting you to do it, and you must have been pretty happy sitting there watching the first cut back thinking, I look pretty good on this, you know, I'm I'm this is a good story for me. Yeah, I didn't have any issues. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was painted in a a poor light. Um, no. just a couple of the facts like I thought that could have been um integrated that weren't told, you know, but they had a they had a, a, a like a, a the original documentary was like I think over two hours long so and there was a lot of stuff that would have went over the anyone who's not involved with video games wouldn't have understood and would have probably lost them so they had took a bunch of stuff out that would have made, helped my case more so it, like, it kind of makes me look like a, I was cheating because they don't really go into what this what this cheating was because otherwise it would have been too confusing so that I didn't really like that aspect I would have rather have it cleared up that you know I wasn't cheating because it made me look like maybe I was 
given Roy Schilt gave me a board that, that he produced and you know so it kind of left a little bit of to wonder like did he cheat but then when I went to fun spot and 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 went further on and, and was playing live it it helped erase some doubts from the cheating but um yeah f- for the most part I didn't I didn't feel like I was given negative uh light but um yeah and I did feel bad badly for Billy because you know that's tough to have have that because I know he was getting a lot of um negative you know mail and phone calls so you know that's not not something that I would wish on anybody so in that regard I, I, I felt bad for Billy it does seem to have got better for him I mean you know he's going to conventions now and kind of is a bit of a celebrity. People are cheering for him and kind of love him with his unique ties and his business now and doing cooking and sauces and stuff completely different. But he, he he's a very unique character that people seem to now warm to. Yeah, he he definitely is parlayed into a a positive. So there's um, he's he's um, reaffirmed the the image of the you know the, the American tie and. And that, so he's embraced, you know, that image, and that's who he he was. He was that way before the movie. So he's basically, and that's what a lot of. I know uh, he mentioned that there was a King of Kong sequel that was maybe coming up. So there's there's people interested in his persona, and he's yeah he's made a lot of appearances. So it's it's worked out. I think, even though it was hard initially, I think. It's a lot of times gone by, so I don't. And he's never when I've seen him in public, and we've been in these Donkey Kong, these Kong offs. Yeah, I've never seen I've never seen any negative interaction with with a fan. No one's come up to him and yelled at. You know, like it's everyone's been kind, and he's been kind to the to the public. So I think in the, in the long run, it's it's worked out well for everybody. Do you still speak to him? Do you have a kind of a good relationship? Is it on good terms, or are you just not really that bothered anymore? Um, just if I see him in public, we've shake we've shaken hands, but I, I don't I don't think he's he still doesn't like me. I mean, even if he shows in public that he's nice, I, I know for a fact he he def, definitely doesn't care for me. I, I don't have any ill will towards him, and there's no reason. I, mean, I think he's just still after you know the the movie kind of attacked him a little bit um he's he's definitely never gonna uh look at me as a as a friend or anything but he's he's very cordial and public but beyond that we have we don't really we haven't talked like sat down and had a lunch together and and chatted about the good old days ever because of obviously the King of Kong, you have gained a certain amount of celebrity. Do you kind of get spotted? Do people see you out and ask you the questions like I've asked you today? Are you always kind of happy to meet these people and share your stories, or is it kind of are you at that stage now where you you look back of it and kind of want to close the book on that sort of part of your life? Um, initially, a couple like when the movie was released, I would I was out in public and there was some people that recognized me. So and I would I would welcome the chance to talk to them and it was cool and then even now I would talk to people but being 10 years or so removed um, I haven't been recognized for a while I'm, I'm kind of I kind of blend into the public I get uh, but Billy definitely would be recognized I, st- uh, I would say but if I am yeah, I definitely am welcome to any questions if people ask questions and up for talking about it I still enjoy that Obviously, now you're a father. Uh, you're a guy with the normal day job. Um, you must have these passions of gaming still, but it must be hard to kind of juggle it all and keep all those balls in the air. Are you kind of do you still game, or do you kind of look at other things in life now for that kind of enjoyment? I think I've. It's kind of I turned a page on that chapter. Um, that was probably a twenty-year window of time where I was. You know, if you don't count the four years of college, that's there's about 25 years of time where I was gaming and taking Donkey Kong seriously for about 15 of those years. Um, 
so I, I look at it as like, okay, I've made my run, um, and as far as going for any further world records, I, I would say it's just too much time investment to justify anything. Um, and I've gained everything that I want. I went out to get a world record. I did it. And if it's not the world record now, that's fine with me. I, I was able to, at one time, get the world record. So at this point, I, I just go to the Kong Offs and play once, you know, once every year at the Kong Offs. And a couple times, it goes through my head to, to go to the go for the world record, but then I look at Robbie and West Copeland and the, the amount of hours that put in to get to the point where you are going to break a world record today is is just crazy. I, I can't justify spending 10 to 12 hours, and that's what it would take. Yeah. For a couple, I mean, even if you spent that many hours a, a day for a couple of years, um, that, and even then you're not guaranteed the high scores getting up there so it's going to take luck and skill coming together in one and then even then you break the record and you know look at Wes had the record and then Robbie broke it so now is Wes going to have to go back and spend all that time again I, I don't know if he wants to do that anymore either there comes a point where the payoff isn't um, worth the amount of effort you got to have so much passion and there's got to be something deeper to drive you to get to those scores you just can't decide I'm going to spend 12 hours a day and, and not have some deep desire and burning passion for it which I did it a long, you know, 20 years ago I, I had that passion but now I'm, now I'm happy where the scores are those guys have earned it I did what I did at the time. I'm happy with how, what I what I accomplished, and now it's just um, I've just moved on. Not to say I'm abandoning the the video game scene, but I've just moved on to to become a former champ. That's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't have any regrets. So I'm not gonna look back and say well, I can't believe I've never had the Donkey Kong World Record for my whole life. I want I need to get it. It's it's just. It's just time to move on. You've been there, you've done it, and instead of getting the t-shirt, you can get the DVD to prove it, which is a pretty damn good thing to look back and say. Yeah, a home, like a, a home movie, basically, of my of that time where I was going for the records is, is kind of a good, good kind of um, thing to have. Do you game now? I mean, have your kids got like Xboxes or Playstations or anything like that, or are you just not? Have you still got the cabinet in your uh, garage or? Yeah, it's still in my garage, and when the Kong off comes, I might play like a couple games just to make sure I can still get past the first level. <laughs> but as far as any other games, I don't really play. My son plays um, Zelda on the either that's Xbox or the Wii U. I can't remember which platform, but but he's Nintendo, he's yeah, Mar- yeah, Mario, the latest Mario game. He was playing that, so he's. And he never latched too much onto the. He played a little bit of the old, the arcade Donkey Kong, but I never could get him to a point where he would just keep pressing to get his high score up. But he he got pretty good for being six years old. At one point, he was getting in the seventy thousands. But um, after that, he just decided to play the newer games. I guess the kids nowadays aren't attracted as much to the the uh, the old school games, except maybe a couple but yeah he just plays the newer games and I'll, every once in a while I used to play Mario Karts with him or something like that but nothing further than that luckily with those games you haven't got to try and beat a million points it is just pick up and play and put down Not so, it's not so yeah. uh, obsessive which is probably a good idea because if he wants to have a go and you're sitting there for 12 hours playing Mario Kart you're probably going to be an unpopular dad <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly, what I mean? yeah. dad I want to have a go Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. So when I was doing my research, I read that you actually went and produced a CD of your own original music. Um, is this something that you kind of found your new passion? Is that something where your time was better invested in yourself? Were you getting more satisfaction from writing and recording? Yeah, that too I I had. is similar to what Walter was experiencing. I had a bunch of songs I was writing, and I never had a outlet because I didn't have recording equipment. But I've always been in... In high school, I was in bands, played the drums, 
play piano. So I've always written songs ever since I was, you know, 13 years old. So it's it wasn't something that came out of nowhere. So I've always had that passion long before the video games. And um, once the, the documentary came out, I thought, hey, this might help, you know, get my name out there. So maybe if I wanted to always produce a CD and, and I was in the middle of working on one before the documentary started. So I, I thought, hey, this is great. That good timing now that people know who I am. Maybe I can share my music. And it, it helped a little bit. It didn't take off as, as you know, like your wish, <laughs> uh, like I would have wished. But um, I, I was able to release that CD um, called The King of Song, Play on Words. And then I released two more CDs. And I think I've told everything I can with my music at this point I, I've kind of like with Donkey Kong after I've played enough all the Donkey Kong I I feel like I've accomplished what I needed same thing with my music I've done three three uh, CDs and I don't think at this point um, I don't have anything left I have some old some songs I could still record if I had to make a fourth album but at this point there's I don't have any burning desire to, to release another one so I, it's kind of like that chapter of my life has been fulfilled too so I'm kind of like looking for another adventure every you know I've done this and that and, and my kids are getting older so who knows maybe just to be a good father from now on and maybe grandchildren are next and you know I, who knows what the next adventure would be the thing is it sounds just from talking to you today you kind of get this impression that you like something and then you kind of have to dominate it or you have to kind of just take it to an obsession and, and complete it, you know, like you did with Donkey Kong, like you did with your music. And now you've done your music and you've done your gaming. It, I'm quite intrigued to know what it is next that you want to accomplish. Like, I know you said being a granddad and stuff, but there must be something yeah. else burning away that you want to kind of get your name on or do in your life. Yeah, I think you hit it right there. That since Yeah, once I do something, I feel like I totally engross myself in that activity so if i were to somehow start going for the Don kong world record i'm afraid that i would lose my house my wife my kids i'd, I'd just get too buried in it so same with music when i was doing music my wife wouldn't see me for eight or ten hours at a time i'd be locked in the closet recording so it was, it's not healthy when i get to that point so I, and i don't have any more um, things to say with Donkey Kong or music, but yeah, who knows the next thing? I am, I am a coach. I teach high school math, and I'm coaching golf right now. And I I've always wanted to maybe coach basketball, or and I coached baseball in the past. So I don't know, maybe I become like a high school uh, coach and take that to a unhealthy level of obsession. <laughs> I don't know, but I I haven't found anything else to strike me as as much passion I've had with Donkey Kong or music, so... You must have, like, the most understanding wife in the world because you dedicated 12 hours a day to a game, you did all your music. You must now, at this point, even though you've got children, just be like, hi, I'm Steve, nice to meet you. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. There was some tumultuous times, for sure, for sure, when I was obsessed with those things. And I guess one thing that I have been playing a lot of is poker lately, yeah, but not not something that I would. I'm running off to. I uh, want to. If you've heard of the world, uh, the or the main event, the, the one that's ten thousand dollars. Yeah. To play, I have, haven't had that obsession to play in that game, but um, I do. That's kind of like my new hobby is to play poker. It's 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 fun, but it's also frustrating because there's the luck element in poker is is you know it's, it's there. So even if you are playing skilled poker you you can't avoid losing because it's just there's just some bad bad luck that comes your way so that's the frustrating thing where with with donkey kong there was bad luck that would happen but i felt a skilled player can can make their own luck in that in that game to a point of course but um so i don't know maybe poker i've become a professional poker player (laughs) i think that would lose my wife for sure with that (laughs) 
Yeah, or your, or your house. I think you'd be like putting yeah. the mortgage up and then trying to stick it all on one game because I know what you're like and you'd want to be the best poker player in the world and there's only so much <laughs> yeah. your wife will support you. I think if you're asking to remortgage the house, sell the car, <laughs> use the kids' students' loans, it's not going to go down yeah. well. Move to Vegas. Yeah, yeah you, you've pushed it as far as you can and you've got away with it so you should kind of count your blessings and be like, I'm going to probably not do that one. Yeah. Is there uh, a, lot, like, a lot of gambling going on in, in the United Kingdom, or is that... Yeah, just- it's all on Sky Sports, it's televised, the casinos never shut here, um, even though it's not as big yeah. as Vegas and stuff, literally people are obsessed and, you know, Texas Hold'em and stuff, people will play till four in the morning and a lot of money gets spent on it, a lot. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something people get addicted to, so yeah, be careful, <laughs> definitely. So to finish, um, obviously, you know, with full respect, you are known for the King of Kong. That's what's kind of elevated you and give you that kind of celebrity status back in the sort of 10, 15 years ago. Looking back on everything, what is it that's kind of the best thing to come out of it for you? What is the thing that you've enjoyed the most from everything that you've been involved with with that film? I think meeting a lot of people along the way during the King of Kong filming and when it was released getting to fly around to the there was a few cities they were showing it um and i would get to go there and do a do a q a session afterwards and just meeting the various people along the way was was fun and i got to do some couple movies that actually came out of um since seth gordon directed king of kong he w- he went on to direct some hollywood movies like the first one that he did was four christmases and i got a small it's like a cameo role in that and you know i met several there was the list of actors in that movie were vince vaughn like reese withers weatherspoon um There's robert a, duvall yeah robert duvall that must have been pretty yeah. cool yeah i got to talk to him it was it was weird and i talked to sissy spacek and um mary steenburgen see that's very cool uh, yeah there was so many people um that that, that the list of people I was, was able to, I was there for uh, probably three weeks and I had to get some time off of school because I can't take three. And I had a, a long-term sub come in and I was staying in what was, um, a Cary, someone told me this was where Cary Grant stayed back in the, whenever he was doing Hollywood movies, they put me up in the house and had a rental car. And I was driving to the, to the movie set and, eat lunch with with these actors and it was it was some it was it was a great time so I, that's just the things that have come up from the documentaries just the avenues and the places it's led probably is just exciting it's it's mind-blowing that is in itself just to have you know food with vince and just be kind of living that celebrity acting lifestyle must be brilliant but um for those for, yeah. the, for those listeners out there that have listened to this today and obviously will then go and check out King of Kong, where can the guys go and check out your music? Oh, I used to have it on um, Amazon and iTunes, but um, it could still be on those sites if you were to go to Amazon and, or iTunes. Um, that would be the place to go. I don't, ha- I don't have a website. I used to have a website that it would, you could go there and, and get a link to it, but the best but I think it's still on Amazon if you were to go to Amazon awesome and what's the future looking like for you now then you're probably just trying to be the best poker player in the world and find something else that you can uh, invest hours <laughs> yeah. and hours of time in exactly just keep looking for the next next thing to do um, but uh, yeah I'm just happy with with the way things are going um, yeah I'm just, just looking forward to whatever the next challenge is what about the the Masters? I mean, you said you play golf. Do you not fancy that green jacket? Are you not kind of, I want yeah, that coat? Yeah. <laughs> I play, I coach golf. Um, play golf is a is a loose term. Um, I can play it, but not very well. That's that's one of the sports I never could get very good at for some reason. I would, I think my best score is seventy five. That was about twenty five years ago, though. But I'm just happy that the the boys nowadays are so. You know they have their own swing coaches, and I'm just there as an organizer, and you know just a glorified organizer, and keep the morale good, and get the kids up to the course, and you know um, safely, and you know 
and that let that once they're at the course, I just say go play your game, and and they're they're they just do they're just good. We won state last year. Nice. One high school. Then two of our boys are going to um, Division One colleges to play golf, so we have a good shot of of winning state again. But as far as being good myself, no, I'm not very good at all. I'm a typical Saturday hacker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I appreciate your time today, and the listeners, I'm sure, have really enjoyed kind of finding more out. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Yep, uh, being on the show. Thanks a lot, Mark. So there it is, and what a great guy he is. So down to earth, so fun to interview, and they're the best when you can just sit down and talk and talk, and you don't even feel like it's work. It's absolutely awesome. So a big thanks to Steve for taking the time to join me on today's episode. I hope you've all enjoyed it, and if you have, please jump on markandme.com. On there, there's my links to my Facebook, my Instagram, my email, my Twitter, and also my Patreon. I really do appreciate all the support, and any tweets, Facebook comments, emails, I'll always respond to, and I read them all, and it's so, so great to read. And if there's some guests you want me to get, or there's some ideas you want to throw my way, please do, I read absolutely everything. And as I just mentioned, I do have a Patreon page. Without that, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now. A lot of the interviews that I have coming up are face-to-face, so I'm having to travel around the country. And yeah, I have to be honest, I can't afford it out of my own pocket. So all the Patreon money that comes in gets invested straight back into the podcast on equipment, travel, and getting to release more and more episodes for you guys out there. I hope you all have enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And as I said, please keep the comments coming and give me a follow on Twitter or say hello because it's great to hear the feedback from you all. And until the next episode, which is a couple of weeks away, stay safe and I'll speak to you all soon. 